Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. This week's guest is Fiona Alwood. Um, Fiona, you're a dental nurse by profession, and you've had an amazing and inspiring career to date. I'm a dental nurse who didn't take no for an answer. So you hold and you have held numerous positions in numerous different dental societies. You're an international speaker, um, as well as a prolific writer and editor for the Dental Nursing Journal and BDJ teams. You're involved in education, both as an educator, as well as being educated yourself, currently undertaking your uh, doctorate education. I've always come to realise we've all got really valuable skill sets, they're just different. We've all got a place in the same team. You've been involved in numerous regulatory bodies, advising on policy and implementing projects. And for all this work, you've been awarded numerous accolades, including being the first dental care professional to achieve an honorary fellowship of the Faculty of General Dental Practice and receiving a British Empire Medal for services to dentistry, to name but a few. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. And that's an incredible list of achievements. And I wanted just to list that at the start, because I'm sure we're not going to have time to cover all of those different elements within this podcast. But I'd just like to take you back right to the start of your training initially and ask you what got you into dentistry and what specifically got you into dental nursing? I have to say that it wasn't a planned career move. Um, When I was looking around at what I wanted to do, I'd originally thought about going into the armed forces. And the suggestion was that you looked at a career that you could take into or be part of and then went to do the element that you wanted to do. And I wanted to be um, a a trainer and a physical exercise trainer eventually. And I did sit all of those exams, but then the schools gave you an opportunity um, in the sixth form to go and spend some time in some places of work and obviously I wasn't going to be able to go into the armed forces to do that so um, I duly ended up with the one thing that nobody wanted to do which was go and work in a dental practice Um, and I think that's where I was really keen to explore that. I have to say it was probably the career that nobody ever thought I would go near because as a child I wasn't overly keen on visiting the dental practice. Um, But having said that, it was a typical story where I never actually met the dentist until I was four or five years old and in difficulty. So it was really that first sort of two weeks from school that whetted the appetite and then I got a Saturday job. So that's how I got into dentistry in the first place. Okay. And then thinking about those really early stages as a dental nurse, if you could describe those early days in three words, what words would you use? Amazing. Eye-opening. Um, and inspiring actually really changed how I thought dentistry and what I thought dentistry was so I'm gonna keep with that theme slightly and you sort of said inspired so what 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 did inspire you it was the key role that the dental assistant as she was at the time played and and the amount of interaction that she had with, with the patient that I really liked um, and how responsible she was and you know, the team, key team member. So she had a lot of responsibility and accountability, but it was an element of care that I'd never explored or thought about and never actually realized that there was such a thing as a dental assistant. And she worked with a gentleman who actually 
was probably a very old school gentleman, but I was in awe of his the language that he used, the instruments that he used, the dexterity that he had. And she mirrored quite a lot of that work and he couldn't work without her. So that's why I was inspired. So that was 40 years ago. Yeah. And if (laughs) you really think about all of the professional bodies that you've been involved in in your career, then clearly there's been a seismic change in the role of this person that you have described from 40 years ago. So what made you feel as though you could perhaps put your head above the parapet and perhaps increase this role, increase this profile of this, what may have been 40 years, quite a sort of quiet, dare I use the word unimportant? Whereas I think now we we wouldn't use that word at all, but I think that 40 years ago, we were using very different terms. So what's made you sort of stand up and be counted and to try and improve um, this for dental nurses? I think there's been a number of things really. I think before I left, so I'm from the Lake District originally, um, many a comment about living in the Lake District and do we have colour TV and you know, sort of comments like that have come through in my lifetime. But I think uh, I went to work initially for a family run business um, and you didn't speak unless you were spoken to. And if they said jump, you said how high or you jumped first. It was such a scary place actually to work. Um, and I moved from there, I started applying to the dental schools because at that point it was the only way you could qualify and you didn't have to be qualified in those early days. But I couldn't work as something if I could be something was, was the mentality. As I duly applied for, for all of the, the dental schools, I managed to get a role in a new setup practice and that was really ambitious for the dentist who did that because I know myself moving to where I moved to, when you move into a place like the Lake District and you're a complete outsider, it's not always the easiest journey. It's not the dentistry that's a problem, it's being outside there and coming in. And as a dental nurse or an expected dental nurse, I went to work for um, Nick Langfield, his name was. He was newly qualified as was his wife out of Liverpool Dental School. And he set up this brand new dental practice with me. There was no receptionist, there was no cleaner, there was nobody to cast the models, there was nobody to do anything other than the dentist and myself. So the more I worked there, we set off with no patients. Two and a half years later, I was leaving and we'll probably come on to that, but um, I left there and there were five and a half thousand patients. Many of those were related to me or indirectly related to me because we're all sort of big families around there. Um, But I'd been able to do a lot of things that perhaps I wouldn't have if I was in a ready-made practice. A lot of those jobs were left to me and I thought, "Mm, I can do this and I can do that. And if I didn't understand something, I wouldn't just take a straightforward, quick answer. I wanted to know why and how. So a little bit of my personality as well, I think I'd had to sort of learn to live like that in my school days um, and part of my upbringing. But I think ultimately... It was around being able to investigate and ask questions and maybe do a lot of things of nurses of that time weren't allowed to do. You know, fast forward 40 years, what sort of thing would you get them to try and speak up about? Well, I would ask, get them to ask, ask the questions. You're not be afraid to ask the questions and want to understand. Don't just accept you do that because that's what you're told to do. There has to be an understanding. It helps you do things better 
if you can understand what you're doing and why you're doing that and what are the outcomes are if you get it right and what the outcomes are if they don't go quite so well. But I think we need a level playing field in understanding of how we get to the best outcomes unless we ask the right questions. It's almost like that two-year-old that we all talk about, isn't it? Why? Why? What if? And there has to be a, a place where there is never going to be an answer then. But you mustn't exhaust it and mustn't be shut down. I just am really inquisitive and that, that's just who I am. Okay. And then f- following on from that, so you've been part of a number of organisations, number of societies and things. What was it that same kind of uh, being inquisitive that led you to kind of put your foot in the water, so to speak, in, in that kind of arena and then gradually take on these different roles? Or what made you to have that transition to be part of something a bit wider than necessarily just the practice that you were in? A little bit of that, but there was a little bit when I had been going to dental schools and applying to the dental schools. And I remember a certain, um, I think she was a dental lead or a lead of a different department. Um, and she was interviewing the dental assistants as we were then. Um, and she wasn't very happy with me because I wanted to be a dental nurse. In fact, she was positively quite rude and I thought she was going to make my life quite difficult because I'd um, done A-levels at school and I particularly wanted to be a dental nurse. The two didn't seem to sit well with her. Um, and from that point on, I thought, no, I know what I want to do. I'd lost the sort of, I'd parked the forces at, at this point. I want to care, I didn't want to do. And that sounded a really strange thing to her. But remember back at that point, hygienists weren't doing the scope of practice that they have now. And I just couldn't see myself doing that type of work. I wanted a a huge variety. Um, So that started that off. And then I sort of, because I'd learned the things that I'd learned, I knew that my knowledge base was as good as many others who were perhaps seen to be more superior to myself because they got a different title. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think we've, I've always come to realize we've all got really valuable skill sets. They're just different. We've all got a place in the same team. Um, so it was a little bit around that. And I I respect people, but I respect people that respect me. I don't respect titles. They, that's not powerful to me. I think it's how- Do you not think respect is something that's sort of earned and not 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 an automatic given? Absolutely. There? I mean, I, that's I, a little bit like you were yeah. just saying really, isn't it? It's that whole thing of, it's not an automatic just because you're a dentist, just because you're a hygienist, no, just because you're a dental no. nurse. It is something that you've got to earn. Absolutely. And it's also the other thing I look at is um, how people have treated me um, and, and mm. what they've expected from me and, and vice versa. And that's the thought you always remember when they walk away from the clinical environment or, you know, the doors that they should. So I think that was fine. And then as part of getting involved in these roles, um, I've been part of stakeholder groups and you sit around tables and you either get drawn into conversations or you're asked your opinion. There comes a point when you know that your voice has got to be heard, mm. when you've got a valid opinion um, and a, one based on evidence or fact, not feelings. You know, we have to be mature enough and have that emotional intelligence to join in those conversations. But again, if, if dental nursing is not going to be heard, then you have to ask why. There is a, a place for the comments to be made and I was going to make them. 
going sideways a little bit, I, I know you've mentioned the, the military a few times. I'm quite intrigued. So what happened with that aspect? Was that something that you ended up pursuing in the end or something you parked and went off in a different direction? No, I parked because what I suddenly realised was that it was the helping of colleagues. So I took a number of, after I qualified, I took a number of um, lead roles and I got involved in doing one-to-one -one training and it was the education that was the real thing that I was anchoring after. And the minute I realised that it was the education and the learning and the supporting of others that was my thing, then I, I did park it, not on purpose. I think it just sent me down different avenues and I looked into different routes to education. Um, and, and that was that was my destiny, really. I think that was the thing that I've loved. It's the thing that's given me greatest opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, so that's where the education started, really. Mm. So you could get those kind of aspects from a, a different area that you maybe didn't necessarily yeah. think that you could start with. Yeah. So a lot of the initiatives that you've worked on over time have been um, focused on mental health or related to mental health. So can you tell us a little bit more about, about that side of your career and how those different things have, have come about? That's actually probably the newest or the latest thing that, that I've okay. done. Um, I've always had a, a need or a belief that dental nurses and the dental profession actually, it's not just dental nurses because I've been part of other groups as well, um, that there is a lack of support for dental care professionals and I know that it's hit and miss with um, dentists and, and clinicians and specialists but for dental care professionals, so it comes out through education but it also is quite sadly born of the fact that if there has been an incident where somebody's taken their lives, that the team are not always supported as well as they could be. And I realise that things have to be dealt with ahead of that, like contracts, like patients, like appointment books, like practices or clinics. But the team need looking after as well. And it was those very sad and difficult phone calls that kept making me think, what about the team? Uh, and lo and behold, March 20, you know, we shut down to all intents and purposes yeah. of an emergency dentistry. There was a moment where people said, no, I think we need to stop and, and just park it for now. And I said, not a chance. This is the absolute opportune moment. I was going to say, I mean, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm, I'm thinking that this is, it was, one couldn't have really predicted COVID. And, and I think that there are many, many things that are going to come out of it that have been positive. There, have, of course, has been challenges and everybody's had a very different experience of it. But your um, foresight all of those years ago, and I say all of those years ago because we're more than two years on from COVID, aren't we? Um, so let, let's talk about sort of current what's happening now for your initiative with the mental health um, so I think um, in answer to that question, the group actually pulled together a great um, group who actually were empathetic and sympathetic to mental health itself. And they had a co-chair, which was Ros McMillan from the BDA. Ros had done an awful lot of work in uh, probing stress in dentistry in Northern Ireland because there were a number of consecutive suicides, which was quite sad. So we've worked to, together to develop the framework. Now the framework itself is very simple to adopt, but it's a structure and that's what we've been lacking. The structure has three steps. And um, so far we've got the early adopters group. The work has been uh, forwarded by Professor Tim Newton, 
um, from Kings. The work has just gone beyond anywhere I could have dreamed or expected. So, so where can listeners hear about this, read about this? I mean, you're talking about it on the podcast and we, we could spend a whole podcast talking about this subject and there's many more things that we're um, sharing with our listeners today. But where can they find out this sort of information that you're talking about? We've actually got a website which is um, www.mhwd.org and the framework is on there. On there, you will also see the call to action, which has got all of the fabulous statements from all the key stakeholders who've got behind this. And when I say fabulous stakeholders, this is all four nations. This is the Royal Colleges, the GDC, the CQC, a lot of the organisations, BDA, um, the BSPD. I could go forever on that. You know, I'd suggest that you do look at that. But the statements of commitment are absolutely phenomenal. So, I mean, obviously, you've been part of many, many initiatives and your incredible endeavours, and I say yours, but yours, along with other people, have done amazing things. But what would you like to be remembered for? Gosh, that's probably the hardest question I've ever been asked (laughs) in my life. Um, A dental nurse who didn't take no for an answer. It is that simple because with if I'd taken no for an answer, I would have perhaps not been in the profession now. Um, I would have left probably left the profession. Um, I wouldn't have held my head up high on my shoulders high and said, you know, I'm as good as the rest of you. Um, and dental nursing as good as the rest of you. I think perhaps my educational drive, because the mental health is very new. Perhaps if I was asked that in five years' time, I might say the mental health. But education has perhaps been one of my strongest things that I've ever done. And on the back of that, the mentoring and education. So, of course, I've just bigged you up there, haven't I? I've just said all of these wonderful things. But, of course, with everything that's great in the dental world, in our personal lives, and our professional development, there's always great things. But there are going to be things that are the opposite of that. There are going to be moments where projects don't get taken on board that don't necessarily fit in with the timings of whatever's going on. So how do you pick yourself up when things don't necessarily go to plan, where things aren't being listened to? How, how do you try and deal with the bureaucracy of, of things? How do you pick yourself up? Really interesting question because I'm pretty good at picking myself up and dusting myself down. But I think that's lots of the other pieces of training that I've done as the mentoring and the mental health and everything else. And I think there was a point where I almost in my life expected to be knocked down. It's part of being what many would say in, in the era that I trained, being a dental nurse, because you always expected that. Um, it was almost a, a foregone conclusion, but there was a part, and I don't know, I think if I, if I look back, there's a, an era where I could pin it down to, but I don't know what it was that made me think, I, I actually don't fall down. I just wobble and I get back up. And many of my colleagues would perhaps say, oh, she'll just go and do another qualification, learn something else. But I always think that there's more than one way of doing something. And if somebody says no, I'll find the way around it. It takes a lot for me to accept that it's an absolute no. So we keep mentioning it, but you're involved with a, a huge range of different things and you've got lots of different things going on. And I'm quite intrigued on a kind of week by week basis. What does your kind of week look like at the moment? And how do you split things up? How do you allocate your time? I think if you look at it on paper, 
it looks enormous. Okay. I, I think I wear people out just reading what I do and you know watching what I do and listening to me talk on different subjects. I think the reality is that I'm, I'm brilliant with my time management. Um, oh, you need to do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need a bit of that. Yeah, I, I have a I have a diary which I allow other people to to come into, or I book things into that include other people. Um, I have a diary that is something that I have that's my time uh, and allocate my time even even to the point of almost personal time I allocate but I'm not quite that rigid um, but ultimately some of the roles that I have are quarterly monthly um, some of them are once a week so because I don't have a full-time position they all work out probably more than 1.5 to 2 positions but in reality um, some of the roles for instance I work at Bank University on a Monday that is my role on a Monday um, I can fit things in if I need to but it means I extend the day and I'm very good at watching what I do with that um, the GDC work I have two roles with the GDC so one of those roles is perhaps once a month and the other role is perhaps twice a year so whilst it sounds busy and chaotic, yeah. the week is different every week. Which is good, um, I would imagine. It's, I think it's this fabulous. just sounds like time management. Yeah, um, yeah it, it is. And I, by Friday, I know what my diary looks like next week, but I haven't got it really secure in there because I'm not going to worry about next week until I get to Sunday evening and I look at where I am for the rest of the week. So I, I do manage it, but I don't worry about what's coming in the following week. If I've got prep to do, it's always in my diary one week or two weeks before, depending on how much prep I've got to do. And they do always say, ask a busy person, don't they? So, yeah. So following on from that, that little bit of advice and a little bit of insight in terms of your time management, over the last, you know, 40 years of your career, what's the most important lesson that you think that you've learned that you can pass on to, uh, you know, newly qualified registrants that are coming through? That's... um. It's an interesting question. It's a great, it's a great point to raise because the dental nurses of today are very different to the dental surgery assistants of eighteen or nineteen eighty five, eighty six uh, when I when I qualified and the years prior to that. Um, I think if I was to offer any advice, it would be create be creative, seek out opportunities because if you sit and wait for them to come to you, they absolutely won't. Um, and to explore things that you think might help because there's lots of things that are still waiting to be explored and created. Um, as I said before, you know, ask questions, be inquisitive, um, but be smart with your time, invest your time well and, and plan your future. So once you've experienced several elements of dentistry, you will have a feel for what it is that you really like. You'll have a feel for what it is you really don't like. Um, at the era that I was initially, the every every dental surgery assistant would take their primary qualification and they would collect all the other qualifications that we didn't have CPD in, in the initial phases. But you would collect all of them and you thought that was the right thing to do, but you very rarely used them. Mm -hmm. So I would say now look at what it is you want to do because the field is so vast now. Um, really plan about what is useful. What, what are you going to be able to use? Because you could give a lot of time to courses, never ever use them again, become de-skilled, and you really challenge yourself. Could you put that time, that money, that energy somewhere else? 
Yeah. And put that time, energy, money into that thing that you've identified that you do really enjoy about, about your career. I think, yeah. Absolutely. So that leads on to my question about the sort of dental industry as a whole. Do you think there's anything in the dental industry that we should either start doing or stop doing? I went, I'm wondering what context that that question is such a broad question. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, I, and it's meant to be on yeah. purpose because I think, you know, that doesn't necessarily, um, it gives you full scope. You can, you can answer it how you want. <laughs> I think if I was to to answer that with with my heart and my head, actually, I would say look inwards to your team and look at how you can use them better. We need to rethink workforce. We need to rethink how we can utilize skills best. Um, And, you know, I think that the whole team have got more to offer, but your dental nurse is completely underutilized. Um, And I wouldn't want to say always undervalued because they're not, you know, we're not everybody's um, you know, in, in that same place, but I think we need to realise what we've got at our hands um, and how we can work more efficiently. And that's always been the case. And I think perhaps the current diadental nurse feels undervalued in the current climate. But if you had had the journey that I'd had, um, I think that it's a huge, huge world now. The opportunities are huge and there for the taking, and you can push doors open. We didn't have that. Um, I'm beginning to sound quite old now and I'm beginning to feel it perhaps, but I think we've come a long way and we are far more valued by many than we were when I started. And there's so many quite funny stories I could tell you from when I first started that even the, the modern day dentalists wouldn't know because they've never met the equipment or anything. But I think that that's the key thing is we don't look inwards to how we can best use the team. Mm. One of those big examples is last year, I was really fortunate to be approached to present at COP26. A dental nurse has never, ever done that before. And I did an open invitation to any dental nurse who wanted to join us with this. And we had a group of dental nurses, international dental nurses actually, and we called ourselves the International Coalition of Dental Nursing. And we presented on the inequalities and the challenges of oral care for the older person, mainly because part of our team members actually work in care homes, and you may hear a little bit about that. But we go into, I'm a trustee of DentAid, and we go into underdeveloped countries, and we design sustainable oral health work and care. We tap into the people within those communities who deliver different messages and different work Um, for instance there is the uh, female community workers who deliver safe water safe cooking uh, family planning and and we've tapped into that and said can we add oral care into that and ultimately we we leave those countries we walk away from those countries with a sustainable type of oral care and messages yet we can't do it within our own communities because we don't use our teams in that same way Now we can look at bureaucracy and we can look at red tape as the problem, but why don't we see the goods and look at how we can take down the bureaucracy and the red tapes? Well, let's just see, let's hope, you know, with time, things may well change, Matt Hope so. We've touched on a few um, of the educational elements that you've been involved in um, 
with societies, but I'm also very interested to hear about your own personal journey because that may also inspire people who are listening to this who may think, oh, do you know, I, I, I might be interested to do a master's, I might be interested to do a doctorate. So perhaps just talk us through briefly what your current sort of educational elements uh, that are featuring in your life at the moment or the ones that you've done historically, <laughs> whatever you feel as though could be inspirational to our listeners. I think perhaps to start probably just after the beginning because we've heard that I started training in practice but then I did the very basic teaching qualifications um, and then I went to do a, a postgraduate certificate in education at Greenwich University and from then on in I was taking up educational roles and inspiring other people to get involved in dental nursing education. I've since moved to education across the, the spectrum of all of the groups but um, I went to university and did a um, undergraduate, so a BS, BA, sorry, in uh, education studies, um, and I came out with a first from that, which was you know, it was a fantastic course to do. I continued then on to do my masters in education, which was general education rather than medical education. I wanted the broader reach uh, and spectrum of what that offered um, rather than being closed into medical education and medical as assessments really because these assessment strategies are quite broad and wide mm -hmm. um, and I also wanted that element of looking at supporting people who learn differently whereas if you look at medical education to a degree that's set up for people who've always been successful or have had an element of success and that's not always the case and starting off in dental nursing quite often, I needed to find different ways to create education that was purposeful and meaningful to people. So towards the end of the program of the masters, you get to do your dissertation as you do with anything else. And we'd been doing elements of leadership. Quite bizarrely, the rest of the cohort were heads of schools in this group. So I was the only one in any kind of health setting. And we had to present to all of their employers and our employers and I've got everybody who was really worried about my talk because I was dental and they were terrified of dentist and dentistry. And my initial poster that we had to talk around was done with a, an orthopentomogram as, as a background and they didn't like that. They asked me to change that. So there's a whole creative side I had to come out. But um, the specialist pathway that I decided to add to the master's was leadership and management. And I looked at that because I really struggled with the concept of leadership and management within dentistry. It didn't sit well with me. I struggled with Even where, where was it? Even though you've been developing all of your skills up until then and felt as though you were a trailblazer, perhaps described as a leader? When you understand the concepts of leadership, leading and leader, they're all very, very different. And perhaps that's why, because I was looking around all the time and I'd been looking at the research and all the literature and there was so little research and literature on leadership in dentistry. In fact, I think I had about four papers at the time um, and two of those are, are somebody who I've ended up working for. So leadership isn't prolific. It, there's more on leadership now. Even though now. it's part of our um, standards for dental professionals that the GDC produce, we still haven't got enough there. No, we need, we need more on leadership. And there are, obviously, there are the leadership um, sort of, initiatives coming out now within uh, the NHS England Eye but no leadership is not prolifically researched and undertaken there was some work done I was part of a team um, at the Faculty of General Dental Practice but no um, there isn't enough 
on leadership within dentistry itself and particularly not associated with high street primary care dentistry. So well, now you're doing a PhD? Uh, I'm doing the doctorate, but I'm not actually doing that. Uh, it's not a focus on leadership as, as such. A lot of my talks have got a leadership element to it. And actually, I've managed to bring leadership into a lot of subjects like infection prevention and control, which I spoke about recently. And it was amazing how many general dental practitioners came up to me. It was as part of my research, the dentist that I spoke to at the time said, where did you study leadership? We are assumed that we're, we're great leaders, that we have leadership skills, but it's not part of our curriculum. Yet we go into, perhaps into primary care, we're expected to take leadership roles and have, um, you know, be good leaders. But when we don't, we just fumble our way through this. So the conversations have been really quite interesting. And interesting, you, you mentioned, even though I'd been doing these things, because the other members of the dental team that I did the interviews with as part of the research, they were in leadership roles. But because they deemed dentists to be the leaders of the team, they still didn't see themselves as leaders or being part of the leadership concept. So it's really quite an oh. interesting phenomenon that needs more exploration and research. I think it's quite interesting, actually, that you mentioned that about you know, potential non-dentists not feeling like they're in that position. And obviously as a dental nurse, you've been in a lot of rooms that there probably weren't many other dental nurses in, and it might have been perceived as unusual that, that you were there. So how did you, how have you kind of traversed that situation where, you know, people maybe have prejudged you and maybe thought, you know, you shouldn't necessarily have a voice in this room. How How's that influenced you over the last... 40 years of your career. It is quite interesting, actually, because at some points you are um, appointed or asked to attend meetings because you're an educationalist, because as a dental nurse, you can't be there, which I've always found quite strange. And I think perhaps in my younger days, I would have sort of been, been quite upset at that, you know, when people say, oh, you, you've got to sort of park being a dental nurse and, you know, get, come out with your educational hat on, if you like. There are times when actually that is appropriate and I never thought I'd say that. Um, some of the work I was doing in terms of training uh, mentors um, and it is this hierarchy that exists within our profession. It's historical, um, really, really interesting. But as I'm also studying um, patient safety sciences, other words known as human factors, there's quite a lot about lowering the gradient and that's not being dismissive of the extensive qualifications and work that other people have done. It's about the psychological safety and the ability to be able to have perhaps difficult um, conversations, if you like. Um, and there's times when qualifications need to be parked. When challenging situations arrive, you've got to do the right thing, no matter what your title is or your registrable qualification. Yeah, I, I think a lot it's of a people barrier. who would be listening to this podcast will really resonate with that. I mean, I think that the role of everybody in the team has really seismically changed since I've been part of um, dentistry, which is nearly as long as um, you have been. And and I was very proud. I was a dental nurse before I was a hygienist and, and super proud to, to have my professional qualification like that. Um, but let's think about your career now and we'll perhaps ask you the same question that we almost started with, which was what sort of three words would you use to describe your career now? Actually, I've been asked recently to put things down on paper 
and I have to say I frighten myself. Um, the um, 40 years of experience looking back to where I started, if somebody had told me when I was starting out, this is where I would be going and where I would end up and you'd be doing the things you would have done, I'd have said no not a chance because I yeah, but that's was, why we invited you on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> I was um, a very shy and quiet person um I I wouldn't have said childhood wasn't difficult if I say difficult it's a challenging thing to say isn't it that um we lived in a very sort of quiet country village um and my my family are, are partly from Cyprus and um, the rest from Lake District and it was a challenging time growing up at, at times um, but I would, I would just never have foreseen any of this. And you know, people when I talk about my mentoring, and I will say, in the words of Clutterbuck, you know, everybody at some point in their career needs a mentor and somebody that they have either admired or somebody they turn to for um, support and guidance. And I think everybody needs to find that person. You you don't seek that person; they seem to arrive on your doorstep and to make when use you're open to it yeah you, mm. you have to be and for me showing your vulnerabilities is not a bad thing you know admitting that you don't understand things asking the questions being really inquisitive about things so tell me about those three words that are going to be describing your career at this stage i would have said take the opportunities but let me think about the three special words so i would say Amazing, unbelievable, energised. Thank you very, very much for coming to our podcast today. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. Very insightful. And I'm sure all of our listeners will have found it extremely insightful as well. So thank you very much for taking the time. Absolute pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes. Mm-hmm.